this is Trice Talk Mini Pod for a Thursday night, July the 29th, 2021, and I'm your host, Donald Wayne. And of course, if you listen frequently, you already know that. Mini Pod, that gap filler between episodes of Trice Talk, uh, a mini version, if you will, of our regular show where I limit the subjects and the time for the show as well, although that's not always possible. Hey, everybody. Thanks for checking out tonight's episode of Trice Talk Minipod. And yes, I know it's Thursday night and it's supposed to be a regular edition of Trice Talk with my co-host, Dennis Lee. But he is out again tonight. I'm sorry. So, you know, we'll have to push the next uh, uh, ray of hope, sunshine, for Dennis Lee to be back behind the microphone with me to Sunday, Sunday evening. So we'll see if that works out this week. Hopefully it will. Um, so I've, I've decided to do a little mix of Trice Talk and a little of mini pod tonight and and you can be the judge of how that turns out because i was expecting dennis lee to be well i i I knew earlier in the day that he wasn't going to be able to be here but uh ahead of that i was expecting it to be a regular show so i'd been looking at a number of subjects and um so i've got two or three two or three things to share with you tonight. Of course, last night, if you listen to Wednesday night show, it was a little bit longer than normal as well. And uh, I hope if you've downloaded or listened to that one, that you enjoyed it. But um, I got three subjects tonight. So I'm, I'm going to try to get through these things and hopefully uh, you will find these interesting as well. Now, well, the first one is not really interesting as much as it is. It's just, part of life and um, a little bit of sad news. I, I generally don't stray too far from uh, serious topics when I'm doing a mini pod, but tonight, since it's been a fairly long solo stretch this week, I want to add a little, a little extra into the show, something that uh, I would probably be doing if Dennis and Lee and Dennis and Lee, I can't even say his name. <laughs> Dennis Lee and myself were together. Now, that doesn't mean that I I don't intend to do some serious stuff tonight because it just means I'm going to um, try to just change it up just a little bit. Okay, so bear with me. Now, this first story I'm going to talk about is I'm sure most of you, if you've had your TV on or listen to anything on the radio uh, the last uh, day and a half or so that you know by now that the ZZ uh, bassist Dusty Hill has died. Uh, Yes, ZZ Top, of course, as you all know, if you're regulars, uh, I'm from Texas and uh, Dennis Lee is from Texas as well. So, you know, I kind of grew... Well, I was already well into my teenage years before the first time I heard CZ Top, but I was at the top end of that. 
And uh, so I've, I've listened to them for a long, long time. But anyway, it was announced yesterday, Wednesday, that 72-year-old uh, Dusty Hill passed away at his, uh, in his sleep at his home in Houston, Texas. Uh, for those of you who don't know a lot about Dusty Hill, other than he was one of the bearded guys on ZZ Top, uh, Dusty Hill was born, I didn't know this myself until I, I read this article, uh, Dusty Hill was born Joseph Michael Hill on May the 19th in 1949, uh, a year, unfortunately, that is near and dear to my heart, in Dallas, Texas, a place that is also near and dear to my heart. He actually grew up in the Lakewood area of East Dallas, um, uh, on the opposite side of town from me, actually East Dallas at that time, uh, in the early or the late sixties, early seventies was, uh, was a, a much nicer area or considered to be a nicer area of Dallas than, uh, the area that I lived in, which um, was called Oak Cliff in Dallas. And it was nice and it was quaint for me. And I, I, I didn't have anything to compare it with, honestly, uh, growing up. But um, as I got into high school, it's, it's funny because when I read this article about him, my school, my high school used to play his high school, which is Woodrow Wilson High School, uh, every year, I, I believe it was every year in, in football. So, um, and even when I was in uh, what we call junior high, some people call middle school. I think in here in Georgia, they call it middle school. But uh, we also, uh, my junior high played a lot of teams that were on the east uh, side of Dallas, which they always had more money for their programs and they always had better uniforms. So I guess what I'm saying is uh, Dusty Hill grew up in a little bit nicer, more affluent area of Dallas than what I lived in, but that doesn't mean he was born into money at all. Um, and also, it, I read in this article about him, the first instrument that he ever played was a cello. I found that kind of interesting. Don't know why. Uh so anyway, going back to his little story uh, with his brother, Rocky Hill, and future fellow member Frank Beard, a member of ZZ Top, he began his career playing with local bands from Texas like the Warlocks and the Cellar Dwellers and American Blues. And I don't know if these were groups that were playing around Dallas, Texas at that time or not. Uh so I, they don't sound familiar to me, but anyway, that was that was kind of interesting. So after playing with those bands, uh, Dusty decided to move to Houston, Texas, uh, with Frank Beard, and uh, I, I guess they met Billy Gibbons, who was also born in 1949. He was born in December of 1949, but he was from Houston. So uh, they joined Billy Gibbons and they formed ZZ Top in 1969. So um, that was about two years out of high school. So he wouldn't have even been, 
Well, I guess, yeah, I guess he would have been 20 years old when they formed ZZ Top. Uh, Dusty was a member of the band for more than 50 years, and they put out 15 studio albums. Uh, one of uh, some of their famous ones are like Lagrange, Tush, uh, which Hill was one of the few songs that he did lead vocals on. Uh, Give me all your loving. Now, one of my favorite ZZ Top songs, and usually when I say this to people, and I've said it to my son Dennis Lee before. I said, "Well, one of my favorite songs is uh, Blue Jean Blues," and. Dennis had never heard Blue Jean Blues before, so I'm going to play just a little bit of it here for you. Uh, it's it's really one of their more mellow songs, and uh, there's no vocals on it. It's just uh, guitar. Let me do that. I'm sorry. There is vocal on this. <laughs> I don't. I was thinking of another song that didn't have vocal on it, and this is one of my favorite songs. And I, I, I misspoke and said there's no vocal. So there is vocal on this. And I realized it just at the moment when he was getting ready to sing. So uh, yeah, here's a little more blue jean blues. gasoline <laughs> yeah i i remember uh, really the first time that i ever heard that song and that wasn't one of their main uh songs that got played on the radio i think i was listening to one of those uh uh progressive rock stations back at that time and they played this one night and i kind of fell in love with it because that's kind of the mood i would be in a lot of times and uh, it fit so uh, that was Blue Jean Blues. And uh, let me play just, I mean, I know everybody's heard Tush, but uh, let me play a little bit of that if I can get back to it here. Um, this is the one where uh, where he, uh, Dusty Hill, sang the lead on. And actually, there was a neat video of them doing that song, some concert in Germany, I believe it was, and it shows uh, Dusty Hill, and this was like, golly, back in, I think it said 1980. So the beards weren't quite as long, uh, but uh, it shows, it's a good good uh, video of Dusty Hill singing uh, Tush. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yes, who could forget that song? That was Dusty. So a little bit more about Dusty before I move on. Um, I didn't know this when I until I read this article. Uh, Dusty Hill also made some movie appearances. Uh, one was in Back to the Future Part 3, which probably I didn't know it because I never did. Let's see. Uh, is that, I may have seen. Yeah, I may have seen Back to the future part three, but anyway, that was 1990 and, uh, he was in there. Uh, I couldn't find a reference to him in the, uh, the cast, but, uh, that's what the article says. And he was also in the, if, if you remember back, uh, this was 2004 to between 2004, 2006, there was a, uh, a series on HBO called Deadwood a TV series and, you know, a Western kind of thing. Now there was a lot of famous actors that were in, in that series. Well, um, <laughs> Hill and, and, and fellow bandmate, Billy Gibbons were both featured in episode one of Deadwood back in 2006, as they were listed as townsmen. But if you look on, um, there are several sites that you can look on, uh, for the cast of the of movies and this one, it'll, it'll show Billy and, uh, Billy Gibbons and Dusty Hill, uh, towards the bottom of the list. And they were just credited as, well, they weren't even credited. They were just listed as townsmen. Um, but if you go back and watch that episode of Deadwood, uh, then you should be able to recognize them if for no other reason, because of their beards. Uh, and lastly, I didn't know this either. I thought this was interesting. Of course, I do like that uh, the animated series King of the Hill. I just don't, I, I never really got to watch it very often. When I did get to watch it, I, I, I generally enjoyed it, uh, at least uh, the earlier, uh, earlier episodes of it. But Dusty Hill was in the... Let's see. It says it was in an appeared in an episode of the eleventh season of King of the Hill. I didn't know it was on eleven years either. And this was in nineteen ninety seven, in which Hank Hill is said to be Dusty's cousin in that particular one. So, um, just a little facts about Dusty Hill and uh, where he came from. Uh, uh, he will be missed. For all of uh, us that like ZZ Top and have enjoyed them since 1969. So, uh, that little old band from Texas. All right, my second story for tonight. Going back to political stuff, of course. And it's from the Epic Times, which is... Uh, has become one of my favorite places to pull articles uh, along with uh, Mike Huckabee's news 
uh, letter sites. But this is a story that uh, from uh, Zachary Stiber, and it's titled U.S. Releasing Illegal Immigrants Who Test Positive for COVID-19, According to Texas Police. According to this article by Zachary, border officers are releasing illegal immigrants who test positive for COVID-19 to a nonprofit organization. Um, and this is, like I said, this is information coming from Texas authorities. According to this article. Now, um, what I'd heard before I get into the article, I'm going to read a little bit of it. What I had heard on Fox news the other night was the, uh, the government, the federal government had arrangements with some charitable organizations, some nonprofit organizations. Uh, and as these illegal immigrants are, are gathered from the border crossings, uh, they're taken to some, facilities uh, by these different, and one of them is the Catholic uh, Charities Group, and they're supposedly temporarily housed in some facility they have. They're supposed to be tested there, and then, you know, uh, then they're housed in another area. Um, That was the story that came out on Fox uh, a couple of days ago. So this this story, I, I don't know reading this story, who's doing the testing, how they determined that they have COVID-19. But um, that's that's how he starts this out. All right, let me switch over to the article on Epic Times by Zachary Stiber. It says, border officers are releasing illegal, illegal immigrants who test positive for COVID-19 to a nonprofit organization. The immigrants were handed over to the Catholic charities of the Rio Grande Valley, okay, which arranged for their stay in La Jolla, Texas, which is, you know, right there on the border. Uh, So they arranged for their stay in a La Jolla, Texas hotel that it had rented out entirely. Uh, And this is coming from the La Jolla police officials. We did not know this. No one told the city of La Jolla. No one told the police department that these people were here. And no one told us that these people were possibly ill. La Jolla Sergeant Manuel uh, Casas told reporters at a July 27th press conference. Um, A situation came to light on July the 26th was just uh, three days ago, after a concerned citizen reported to a police officer that she saw members of a family who were coughing and sneezing without covering their mouths at a Whataburger location, and they weren't wearing masks. Now, y'all may have seen that story on the news because I remember seeing the the picture of the Whataburger uh, when that aspect of the story broke a few days ago. Uh, management at the restaurant where the incident was reported said they wanted the family to leave because they were disregarding other people's health. 
The officer went to the family who told the officer they had been apprehended by Border Patrol agents just days before, but were released because they had COVID-19. Oh, that makes sense, doesn't it? The family was being housed at the Texas Inn Hotel, which authorities later learned had been completely booked to house such immigrants. And as it referenced earlier, that appears to have been done by the Catholic Charities. The information we have is that everybody that is staying at that hotel is COVID-19 positive, Casas said. Officers later witnessed a group of 20 to 30 people staying at the hotel outside. Most of them weren't wearing masks. Officers also later learned the illegal immigrants being detained by the Border Patrol were given over to the nonprofit to be placed in hotels in the La Jolla and McAllen, Texas area. So La Jolla and McAllen are are fairly close to each other. They're, They're both border towns. We have been doing well as a community, the officer said, in slowing the spread of this deadly virus, but ill-conceived policies by both the federal and state governments are beginning to have serious consequences on Hidalgo County. I call on federal immigration officials to stop releasing infected migrants into our community, Richard Cortez, the county judge, said in his statement. And he's, he, he called out the, uh, the state of Texas as well, and my understanding is because the governor of Texas uh, uh, no longer mandated that masks be worn by people in the state. So I think that's what he's referring to when he's calling out the state of Texas. A Catholic Charities of the Rio Grande Valley representative didn't return a quest, request for comment by press time, it says. The charity's executive director, Sister Norma Pimentel, told Border Report that the group had been helping house COVID-positive immigrants in hotels. Pimentel said that a security guard is now at the La Jolla Hotel to keep the immigrants inside. A spokesperson for Customs and Border uh, Protection told the Epic Times via email that the agency in the Rio Grande Valley sector continues to encounter significant numbers of undocumented migrants crossing the border. Then the article says undocumented migrants is a term for illegal aliens. Yes, but we're not supposed to call them illegal aliens anymore. Uh, For some reason, that seems to offend. It's supposed to be offensive. Um, I'm not sure which part. The illegal part, which is actually true, right? They are illegal. Uh, The aliens part, I mean, aliens is not, you know, like most words in in the English language, it has more than one meaning. And aliens, uh, up until now, when it seems to be offensive, would could refer to somebody that was from another country. Um, the Rio Grande Valley continues to expel individuals under Title 42 authorities as part of COVID mitigation efforts and utilizes pathways under Title 8 proceedings to remove those amenable to their home countries. 
the spokesperson for RGV said, during these challenging times, our federal, state, and local partnerships are indispensable as we work to secure our borders and to quickly move individuals out of United States Border Patrol custody and through the appropriate immigration pathway. The appropriate immigration pathway. Well, how can it be appropriate if these people are coming over here illegally? And why are we trying to move them quickly into an immigration pathway when they've broken our laws? So that sounds like probably a Biden spokesperson uh, coming up with that point of view. Anyway, border agents on the Rio Grande Valley apprehended more than 20,000 illegal immigrants in a single week this month. And I understand that was last week because I think I talked about that a, a few days ago on one of the other mini pods. It, it, it's just... Um, uh, the number of 20,000 in one week just is mind-boggling to me that, that they've had to deal with that many people, you know, uh, in such a short period of time. And that's just in that one area. Uh, part of the dramatic rise in apprehension seen during President Joe Biden's first term that's just a drop in the bucket compared to every all the other numbers that we've been talking about uh, for the last few weeks. Texas authorities have begun taking matters into their own hands, arresting immigrants on trespassing charges. The city of Laredo sued the Biden administration last week in a bid to stop the transfer of thousands of illegal immigrants from among those apprehended in the Rio Grande Valley and Del Rio to the city. I mean, we talked about that the other day where, you know, they're loading people on buses. And uh, I think uh, part of my story was that they had run out of buses down in South Texas. So then they started putting them on airplanes. They were buying them airline tickets and sending them to various cities across the country. Um, anybody want to take a guess how much money that's costing us? So, you know, I mean, yeah, we, we're talking a lot about the border situation. And I'm sure a lot of people, especially conservatives, conservative podcast uh Republican podcasters, anybody that cares about this country should be talking about this issue right now because it's it's just impossible to comprehend what the federal government thinks that they're doing right now or if they if they're even thinking at all. There's so many questions that need to be answered as to why they continue to do this, especially as I believe I may have mentioned a little bit last night, the fact that now, we're looking at a rise of the uh, the Delta variant of the COVID virus. And they're talking about masking again in areas where the cases are rising. Uh, they're talking about mandating 
vaccinations for people. And and with the cases rising, do you, is is there any link at all to the thousands of people that are coming across the border? And and this article, if it's if it's uh, accurate, that these people staying in this hotel were all COVID positive, and they're at a, a stinking Whataburger restaurant, mixing with the town people, coughing and sneezing. Now, honestly, if 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 every all the regular customers that were in that Whataburger had their vaccinations, then they would have, you know, they would have the the, the biggest uh, bit of prevention that they could have, the biggest uh, amount of protection that they could have. But they shouldn't have to deal with it. I mean, who is supposed to be watching these people? Uh, you, you think if you house a group of people in a hotel, if somebody's going to put them up in the hotel, that somebody should be watching after them. I mean, somebody should have been responsible for getting them food. Did you not think that they might wander out and want to get something to eat? Of course, I'm not sure how they have money to do that, but maybe the Catholic Charities is giving them that as well. Um, my understanding was that, like I said a little bit earlier, that these charities that are helping out with uh, arranging housing and so forth for for the illegals that they're trying to house are being compensated in some manner by the federal government for doing that. Uh, because you, I, I mean, I don't know that for a fact, but that's that's what was reported uh, the other day. But yes, shouldn't somebody have been watching them? Now they have a security guard. Well, now they've already been out in public. They've already exposed people. And that's just one location, folks. That's just one place. What about all these people they're sending to various uh, cities across the country? I mean, somebody ought to be tracking them. We, as American citizens, should know when people coming across the border illegally are gathered up and then injected into our communities, no matter where it is. We should know. The local authorities should know, and then we should know. And then, if the COVID spikes happen to coincide with the places where they're putting all these people, hey, maybe somebody can connect the dots on that. I mean, we you could do a show on, on this border situation every night of the week. And I know some people probably get tired of border, 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 but you know what? If they continue to let thousands of people come across each week, we can't stop talking about it. We can't ignore it because sooner or later it's going to affect you. If it's not affecting you now, it's sooner or later it's going to affect you. It's got to, it's got to affect all of us. We're talking about a million people so far this year, right? How many of those millions of people are going to have the ability to take care of themselves? And, and what if, uh, how many of those million people uh, may have COVID or gotten sick or have other health issues? They're going to end up at hospitals. They're not going to have the money to pay. So the taxpayers are going to be footing the bill for the medical care for this million people that have come across the border. And I'm not saying 
all of the million are not going to end up with a means to take care of themselves. But that's another issue. How many of these people, how many of the million are actually going to be able to get jobs anytime soon? I mean, they really shouldn't be able to get a job because number one, they're illegal. But of course we know that hasn't ever stopped anybody in this country uh, in recent years or in the last 20 years or more. But how many of them are going to have jobs? And if, if they can't make money and they don't have any money, how are they going to survive? And everything that gets done, and we're talking about a million people. We're not talking about a group of a thousand or a group of 500 people. We're talking about a million people so far. How much money is it going to take out of the pocket of its American citizens in order to care for these people? So if you're not concerned yet about what's happening at the border, just wait. You will be before this year is up. All right. The last thing I want to talk about tonight, let me switch back over here. It's my third story. And this is from um, Mike Huckabee's evening edition of his newsletter for July the 28th. And I tried to find something a little bit different than, again, what I would normally do uh, for the for the mini pods. Because it is a Thursday night and I felt like I ought to be trying to get some some semblance of the regular Tristock show. This is um, the title of the article, and it's it's a short title by Huckabee. It says, Comedy is Racist. And, of course, if, if you're familiar with when I do stories by uh, Mike Huckabee, uh, he's one of those political guys, ex-governor of uh, Arkansas, also made a run for president in the past. So, but he's one of those guys that uh, kind of that Southern humor thing. He is always trying to turn some of his conversation into uh, something funny or a pun and uh, Southern humor, if you will. Although I think he's living in Texas now. Um, he's governor. He was governor of Arkansas. And, oh, by the way, his uh, daughter is running for governor of Arkansas. Uh, in case, of course, it probably doesn't matter to you, but just in case you didn't know that. Um, so he, he's, he's references in this an author called Robin, Robin D'Angelo. And she's talking about, uh, she's come out with a, a book. Uh, let's see, I'm, 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 let me switch over to the article because I'm still on my notes here. And I have to pull that article up to see the, uh, oh yeah. The, the name of the book is White Fragility. And then I pulled up, okay. Yeah, the name of the book is White Fragility. So let me just read uh, Mike Huckabee's comments. Let me do that first. And then I, I've got a little audio for you of her talking. She's being interviewed on some, I don't know what the 
the heck this show is. Uh, I tried to look on there, and it's it's something I believe is posted on YouTube. Uh, a, a guy or a couple of guys do this podcast interview thing. They're obviously uh, strong liberals, but um, let's go with Huckabee's uh, comments first. Robin D'Angelo, the white lady who's made a fat living off peddling woke racial divisiveness and cringing white liberal guilt to corporations and the media via her absurd book, White Fragility. So uh, she must know how many people, including some professional comedians, although not late night hosts, of course, are starting to shake off their fear of cancel culture and make fun of her nonsense. You can tell because she's now declared comedy itself to be racist. Um, he says, I'm not going to recount what passes for her reasoning because it was painful enough just having to slog through it once, but you can read it at the link, uh, which is posted, will be posted with this article. It might remind you of the classic scene in Mel Brooks, history of the world where he's a Greek philosopher applying for unemployment and the clerk B Arthur says, Oh, you're full of, you're a bull bleep artist and ask, did you bull bleep last week? Did you try to bull bleep? No wonder she hates comedy. Mel Brooks has already summed up her profession perfectly. I'm not quite sure I get that, Mike, but that's okay. Um, golly, the history of the world. I don't know uh, if anybody listening to this podcast has ever seen that Mel Brooks movie, uh, History of the World, but uh, it's like all of Mel Brooks movies. It's, <laughs> it's a combination of strange. It's a classic, but it's probably only a classic according to this Robin D'Angelo's uh, description of comedy. It's probably all racist, even though Mel Brooks is Jewish. Um, you won't be surprised to learn that this tidbit of self-interest disguised as high-mindedness came in an interview prompting her new book, Nice Racism, How Progressive White People Perpetuate Racial, racial Harm. Finally, she said something we can all agree with. Comedy is essential to free speech and free thought. Since the days when court jesters were the only ones allowed to joke about the king, it's been the job of comedians to mock the foibles and hypocrisies of all sides, especially those in power. They perform the vital service of pointing out when the emperor has no clothes. That's why tyrants always try to crack down on comedy and why victims of oppressive regimes always have plenty of jokes about their leaders that they only tell amongst themselves. Here in America, we tell those jokes out in the open, or at least we used to. I refuse to stop. And I hope we're finally getting back to doing it again. For the record, no, Miss D'Angelo, I will not stop joking about things that richly deserve it. And if that includes certain politicians or celebrities who happen to be black, then so be it. 
claiming as she does that it is racist for white people to joke about black people is itself racist and condescending. The show she criticizes, The Family Guy and South Park, The Simpsons, often include jokes that are offensive to my sensibilities, but I never say they shouldn't be allowed to make them. They can make fun of my beliefs. I can make fun of theirs. And fortunately, since Ms. D'Angelo is white, she should have no objections to all of us making fun of her beliefs, which are a veritable mother load of comedy material. All right. That's Mike Huckabee's take on Ms. D'Angelo. Now I'm going to click onto the site that, uh, the link that comes with this. Uh, there's a couple of things. If you go on our Facebook page after the, uh, after I post this show tonight, you'll, uh, there's also a link on here about Leo Terrell talking about critical race theory. Uh, Leo's been hot on the, uh, circuit lately, uh, beating down the critical rate. Whoops. Yes. <laughs> yes. Thank you for that. Viking cruise lines. You know, they don't even give you a, an option to click on that. You want to hear the stupid commercial. They just start playing the damn thing. All right. So <laughs> this, this is, um, this is on a Fox News live site, and it says, White Fragility author says, comedy is an excuse to get to be racist. But D'Angelo says it's okay to punch up by mocking white people, just not people of color. All right. And that'll be posted on Facebook as well. So I encourage you, if you can stand it, to, to listen to the entire interview of Miss D'Angelo, which I'm only going to include a little bit of it uh, after I talk about this article just a little bit, because it'll give you a little bit more insight. And I, I'll have to, there, there's some things, some points that she makes that are worth hearing out loud, but her conclusion is what I have a problem with. All right, this article, let's see, who in the heck is this by? Jessica Chasmar from Fox News says, New York Times bestselling author Robin D'Angelo delivered a blow to the comedy world in a video that resurfaced over the weekend, declaring that it's okay to punch up by mocking white people, but it is racist to mock people of color. So it's a, it's a one-way swinging door, right? During an April conversation with YouTube, Joseph Jaffe, which was recirculated by the Wisconsin-based nonprofit My Thin Formed, My Thin Formed, M Y T H I N F O R M E D. Okay, it may be a thing. I'm not sure. Uh, on Saturday, D'Angelo described her definition of racism and her issues with comedy. Comedy is, I think, an excuse to get to be racist, right? The, the, the white fragility author said, I think TV shows like The Family Guy and South Park and maybe a little bit uh, The Simpsons allowed white people to be racist self-consciously. Like, I know I'm being racist and therefore it doesn't count and it's okay. I don't think that it's benign to do it in a joking way, D'Angelo continued. And there is a concept in comedy called punching up, not down. So if you want to punch up, there are very different power dynamics, and it doesn't hurt in the same way. 
it doesn't invoke a deep, deep centuries-long history of oppression when you poke fun at, say, white people. But it's very, very different when you poke fun at people of color. Now, she's saying this. D'Angelo said white people who define racism as individual acts of conscious meanness or malice are misguided. We have to move well beyond that and understand it is a system, she said. It is the foundation of both of our cultural context. Racist ideology, practices, policies are circulating across the culture and we absorb them. D'Angelo is promoting her new book, Nice Racism, How Progressive White People Perpetuate Racial Harm, in which she argues subtle racism is more insidious than overt racism. So that's her short take on that. Now, the there is a link on this article that I'll be posting as well. And um, <laughs> it... Uh, it there's a picture here uh, on the link that you click, and it says uh, it shows both of her books, White Fragility, Why It's So Hard for White People to Talk About Racism. Uh, and I think that was written several years ago. And then the newest one is Nice Racism. Uh, so the interview, I believe, with her is about an hour long. I'm only going to play five or six minutes of it, which will kind of just, I want you to be able to hear her say the things that I just told you about that was in this article. And, um, but certainly I'm, I'm not playing everything she said because, uh, it, it would take a while to get through that. Plus the guy that's doing the interviewing, he's fairly long winded. And I'm more interested in just hearing what she has to say to back up her conclusions. All right, let me key this in here. Uh, this is always the fun time for me to try to do this. Whoops. Let me see. All right. But the other one is comedy, and 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 I think part of what you're saying, you know, just to just to go back and revisit that is. We have to acknowledge, as hard as it might be as a white person, that there is a degree of racism in us, built into us, um, almost whether it's dormant, whether it's not, or whether it's just part of the culture in which we were raised. Um, and, you know, it's almost, and, and and I don't know, I'm trying to think of how to ask the question, which is, which is how do we deal with the fact that we may have laughed at a racist joke, told a racist joke, sat in the audience of a, at a comedy club and heard racist jokes. As a as a as a Jew, um, you know, the jokes were fine if they were about mm -hmm. other people, but the minute someone made a joke about a Jew, it was offensive, and right. suddenly I was like, I didn't, and you know, and suddenly that comedian might not have been found funny anymore. How does how does one cope with that? With that, and that's just one tiny use case. So I took notes because there was a lot of rich <laughs> stuff in there. Um, I think we have to start right now with what what do we mean when we say racism? So anyone listening right now that's really struggling uh, with the kinds of big claims you and I are making is likely defining racism as individual acts of conscious meanness or malintent. Um, 
And as long as that is your definition, you're not going to be able to be in a conversation like this, right? We have to move well beyond that and understand it as a system. It is the foundation of both of our cultural, you know, contexts. It, it uh, racist ideology, practices, policies are circulating across the culture and we all absorb them. Just let's go back to gender. You can try to resist gender socialization, but that's just it. You're going to have to try to resist it because it cannot be avoided. And either uh, can racist socialization. Uh, if, if you can't move into that premise, um, you're going to get left behind, if you will. Right. You're going to be continually feeling defensive and insisting that you have nothing to do with any of this. OK. Um, so comedy is, um, it's, I think it's an excuse to get to be racist, right? Like irony. And I think TV shows like Family Guy and um, South Park and maybe a little bit The Simpsons, right? Allowed white people to be racist self-consciously, right? Like I know I'm being racist and therefore it doesn't count and it's okay. And it's a lot like what I exposed that couple to at dinner. I'm still reinforcing racist tropes and ideologies and stories. It's still being reinforced in everybody's um, mind who's listening. Um, and so I don't think it's benign to do it in a joking way. Um, and, and there is a concept in comedy called punching up, not down. Mm. <laughs> So, you know, you want to punch up, there's very different power dynamics and, and it, it doesn't hurt in the same way. It doesn't invoke a deep, deep centuries long history of oppression when you, when you poke fun at, say, white people. But it's very, very different when you poke fun at, at people of color. So how do we deal with having laughed at a racist joke? We recognize that in those moments, we were reinforcing those ideas and those ideologies. Let, let's use Trump for an example when he talked about Mexicans being rapists. I would never say that, but it's not like I'd never heard it. Right? When he said it, it wasn't like a nonsensical to me. He was just reinforcing, I shouldn't say just in a minimizing way, he was reinforcing ideology that's already circulating, that I've already absorbed. And fortunately have the consciousness now to resist it. But if we're not willing to look at it, we can't resist it. That's the power of advertising. <laughs> and so many white people think they're just exempt from all of that. So, yes, you laughed at it in the past. Recognize that it has contributed to your basic framework of racism. Um, but now you can see it and you're going to challenge it. Well. Oh, sorry about that. I, I forgot to key the mic back up. Uh, I knew that she would, of course, I'd already listened to that portion of it. I, I knew she would have to bring Donald Trump into this, which is not surprising at all. Um, and we probably all remember that comment that he made. Now, my memory of the comment, even though I didn't think that he should have made that that particular comment in the manner which he did that day. I truly believe that what he was, the point he was trying to make was um, there were criminal elements coming across the Southern border as there are now, as there are now. 
but I think it was taken in such a manner or he said it so poorly that it may have sounded like he was accusing all the Mexican people coming across the border as being rapists, which is insane. And nobody, nobody in their right mind believes that Donald Trump believes that or believe that when he said it, he did not have a wonderful way with words. That is not excusing him from saying that. I'm just saying it is a fact or as a fact is at least in my opinion. Okay. And we don't always say things the way we want to. And how many of us can actually say we've never said something uh, that came out of our mouth entirely different from the way we, than, than the point that we wanted to make. But that's neither here nor there. I'm just talking about the fact that she had to bring up Donald Trump in the sense, leaving it that Donald Trump is saying all Mexicans are rapists. And that's insane because he didn't say that. And I certainly don't believe he meant that inference. But she's saying it's okay. And, and, and probably the hardest thing for me to process here is she's saying it's okay for anyone else to say whatever they want and make comedy or make jokes about white people. She might as well go ahead and add to that, in my opinion, because they deserve it. Because they're bad people, they're racist. So you have a right to pick on them and make fun of them or make comedy, uh, uh, make jokes about white people because they deserve it. But damned if you're a white person in, in, a, in, a, in a comedy setting or routine, are you supposed to make fun of anybody that's not white? That's taboo. If you do, you're a racist. Now, it's funny that she mentioned Family Guy uh, and The Simpsons because, and, and I've watched a number of episodes of The Family Guy, and like, uh, like Mike Huckabee, there are times that I think Family Guy pushes it a little too far. But there's probably thousands, or if not more, people that enjoy that humor. Do I feel like that he's truly, um, I don't know. I don't know what the intent is when people do comedy routines, other than trying to be funny, they're trying to elicit laughter. They're trying to take people to a, a place outside of reality. Sometimes in my opinion, so when people go to comedy clubs, they go to comedy clubs to escape reality. I, I would say, just to be entertained. Like we want to go to a movie. We want to be entertained. We want to step away from the crap that we have to deal with from day to day and find a place where for an hour and a half or two hours, we don't have to think about maybe all the problems that we have in our job or at home or whatever. Of course, that's the same argument that we made about sports and and what they what they're doing to sports sports used to be an escape sports used to be a place where people of different races and different uh ethnicities could get together you know 
the white guy and the black guy and, and the Hispanic and, and the, the Italian and, and the person from China or Japan or, or uh, Pakistan or wherever the hell they're from. They can get together because they're, they, they all love this one team. And for that hour, uh, two hours or two and a half hours, whatever, three hours, you know, they, they've come together for something that they enjoy together. You know, and I don't, I've, I've been to a few comedy clubs in my, in my time. And I certainly think in my opinion, sometimes the comedy goes too far. Sometimes they make fun of things that I, I personally can't see them making fun of. Um, but you know, you look back about the history of comedy, at least in in the last 20 or 30 years, Saturday night live, you know, uh, if you go by what this Robin D'Angelo was saying, then you're, you're probably going to have to just do away with comedy altogether. Unless, unless you, uh, just keep white people out of comedy and only, people of color or people of different national, uh, uh, not nationalities, but, uh, ethnicities can do comedy. White people can't do comedy. That's, that's basically what she's saying because it's okay for everybody else to make fun of white people, or they can make fun of their own, um, uh, race. And that's a question there. I don't think that she, I actually, I didn't, I, I have to say, I got a, I got to question her, her thought process on that. So really the only one I, I took that she said you could pick on is white people, but can black comedians pick on Hispanic people? Can black comedians make fun of Hispanics or Chinese or Pakistani or, you know, is there's a question there. Is it okay for them to do that and have any kind of comedy routine they want? Just not white people. Well, the only, only people white people can make fun of is white people, but then they have to be careful about that. According to what she's saying. I wonder how Eddie Murphy would do with those rules or how Red Fox would do with those rules or Chris Rock or Chris Tucker, Jerry Seinfeld, even George Carlin, Jay Leno. And again, I think sometimes comedians take it too far. Uh, I have Sirius XM radio on my, uh, my uh, vehicle, not my work truck, my old broken down work truck, but my my personal vehicle that I that I use to go places where I don't want to have to worry about breaking down. And I have Sirius XM, and I was excited about it at first because it has the comedy, uh, several comedy uh, stations on Sirius XM, but. I found it was very difficult for me to find a station that I could listen to, uh, 
where I could leave it on there for any length of time because some of the comedians, some of the comedy routines that they were playing on that, I would actually say that I found offensive, not to me as a person, but I felt bad that they were saying some of the things they said in their comedy routines. Like one of them was making, making light of, um, uh, battered wives. And I just, I, I think sometimes comedy does go too far, but then that's my personal feeling. There's probably thousands and thousands of people out there that, that, that doesn't bother. They can, they consider it in that context funny. Um, there's, there's a number of things that I think that are offensive and, and comedy from time to time, but I don't have to listen to it. I don't want to, I don't want to ban it. It's not my job to ban it because I don't like it because there may be thousands of people out there that don't take it the way that I do and they can laugh at it. But, um, people like Robin D'Angelo, which she is white. And she said early, uh, part of the interview that I didn't play, but she felt like she was one of the early people that started talking about racial justice in this country, like back in 2008, 2004, something like that. Uh, and I think she credits herself for, you know, talking, uh, started talking about, uh, white supremacy back in the early two thousands. So she's really high on herself. She really feels like that she's in there fighting for minorities and trying to uh, help white people realize their misgivings. But they've just about ruined comedy in this country, comedy based. And yeah, I, I think comedy is a matter of taste, just like movies are, just like music is. I mean, if you want to start, <laughs> I shouldn't start on this subject because it's, it's one that I, I, I can, and, and I don't, I don't personally, I don't care because I, I choose not to listen to it, but there's songs on the radio sometimes that are so filthy or so, uh, so, uh, degrading of women and, and, and even certain groups of people. But yet, in this country, we allow them to have uh, to be able to do that because that's uh, freedom of speech, freedom of expression. But now we've got this element coming in here by uh, people like Miss D'Angelo who uh, are going to put an asterisk besides beside freedom of speech and freedom of expression. And that asterisk, according to my interpretation of what she says is you can say it unless you're white and then you better keep your mouth shut unless you're making fun of your own mom or dad or brother or sister, or cousin, whatever you can, you know, so as a white person, we have a narrow window of comedy references that we can use. 
according Miss D'Angelo. And again, comedy is a, a matter of taste. Um, what I might think goes over the line. Other people might think, you know, <laughs> it's not far enough. So I'll be posting this. And if you're interested in seeing the rest of her interview, which she talks about other subjects besides uh, comedy. Um, but that was just something, again, that Mike Huckabee keyed in on. And I saw that article. And I said, eh, let me, you know, that, that'll be a good, good one for me. It's a little bit off the main path from what I normally do. So check that out on Facebook if you would like. And uh, let me move over here back to my home base. Yeah, like always, I try to post these. Now, some of these links may disappear when they get on Facebook because I've sometimes uh, I understand they're a little controversial. Uh, I think Facebook has... Not, I don't know if they flagged me, but they I've gotten a couple of notices and they haven't tried to restrict anything, but they've told me that uh, they fact check some of the articles that I posted, not some of the things that I've said personally, because I, I always try to say, uh, unless I'm reading an article to you, a lot of what I say is my personal opinion based on my life experiences, and I've had a lot of them. But they are my opinion. And uh, unless, again, I'm sharing an article with you that is uh, quoting facts or whatever. So, but yeah, Facebook has kind of hit a couple of the articles that I put on there saying, well, these are only partially true. So, well, but they don't really tell you what they disagree with. See, that's the bad thing. You know, I don't mind you disagreeing or I don't mind you telling me that something that I've said is wrong, but give me something to go on. Tell me what it is that I said that was wrong or, or, or the article that I posted. Tell me about that art. What in that article is not correct. And, uh, Hey, then I'll know for the next time. Right. But that's not the way the system works today. All right. I appreciate you listening to this episode of Trice Talk slash mini pod combination for a Thursday night. And uh, I'll be back tomorrow night with a uh, regular episode of mini pod, which means it will not be this long. Uh, I promise you. And um, then hopefully I, I hate to even bring it up because I said the other night that you know, I expected Dennis Lee to be here tonight with me, but uh, now we're just going to have to kind of hope for he's able to join me again on uh, again. Hopefully he'll be back on Sunday and he's OK. I just want to make sure everybody understands uh, he's not ill or anything. He's just got things going on with jobs and, and life. And uh, this it just right now it's not a good time for him to be uh, uh, having to work on this podcast with me. So uh, hopefully he'll be back Sunday and uh, I'm just going to pick on him the whole time since he's also white. I think I'll just make a lot of jokes about him just to get out my frustration over this article. Uh, but join me tomorrow night, if you will, or listen for this posting tomorrow night. And um, 
that's pretty much it. That's all I got to say about that. I'm not going to do a closing thought since uh, I've run a little overtime here. I just would like to uh, ask everyone, pay attention to what's going on right now. You know, we're not here at Talk trying to tell you what you should think, how you should live, what you should do. We just try to bring things up, bring them to your attention, or just sometimes try to give you a different perspective. Whether or not you want to agree with us, that's certainly fine. We're not here to try to convert you. We're just trying to give you a a little information and maybe a, a different way of thinking about some things. You make your own determination. The only thing that we ask of you, especially right now, which is more important than has ever been before, is pay attention to what's going on, folks, and ask questions and verify. Because if we don't pay attention, there's come time that uh, it won't matter whether we pay attention or not. So I'm Donald Wayne. Stay safe, everybody. Thank <laughs> you.